If you've ever wondered what a busy restaurant kitchen sounds like, you're listening to it. Today we'll be talking with Jason Allen, a chef from Arizona. all the calm and peaceful atmosphere in a fine dining restaurant, the other side of a kitchen door is a hectic, noisy, and hot workplace. Servers need to communicate the guest's order to the kitchen, sometimes with odd requests or changes to the menu item. Cooks need to interpret that on the fly and time the delivery of each order so everything comes to the table at the same time. Chef Jason Allen is no stranger to the professional kitchen. I first met Chef Jason Allen while attending classes at the well-known Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Jason and I were classmates at what could be described as the most grueling two years any chef wannabe could endure. It was also a time of incredibly delicious food. The time a chef in training spends at the CAA builds the skills necessary to work and eventually manage a professional kitchen. It also builds camaraderie in the students who learn the front of the house and back of the house skills necessary to work as a single unit in order to bring that delicious food to your table. I asked Jason to join us at Clean Slate Farm so we could talk about life at the Culinary Institute of America what it's like to work in a professional kitchen, and also talk about his garden in Arizona. Hey everybody, welcome to the Clean Slate Farm Podcast. We're taking with, talking with Jason Allen today. And Jason, you just got a new job. You started, where, where are you working again? Uh, I'm at the Scottsdale Fairmont Princess in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Neat. And, and when did you start that? Uh, about four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So and, it's, uh, it's been a, a fun <laughs> fun time onboarding. Yeah, and your position is what? Your executive sue? Correct. And and what does that entail? So <clears throat> the property has about eight different outlets or restaurant venues uh, on property, uh, which is quite a few. Um, but I'm in charge of the outlets. So okay. um, I'm responsible for coordinating new menus, for um, just kind of driving the team uh, daily operations, making sure that you know we have proper pars in place and you know our guests are being taken care of right so now eight eight different outlets so this is a pretty big operation then it is it is very large it's almost uh 900 rooms oh my god that's huge yeah there's quite a few and your executive sue so now i'm going to go back a little bit in time here because i want to talk a little bit about our time at the culinary institute of america but you got started in on this journey. You once told me that you and a friend would save money from odd jobs, have enough money to go to really cool restaurants, and just have dinner. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I so, do. what kind of uh, jobs? It's what? um, you know, it's funny. I started out in culinary, um, pretty pretty early on, but we would do everything from uh, small catering gigs, and I know it sounds sounds strange from a high schooler but <laughs> there was there was some uh, some call for it um some of those uh what i would call a small uh small job but then you know everything from mowing my neighbor's grass to you know washing the car for my dad yep. things like that mm-hmm. but it uh it, it got us enough every once in a while we'd have to save up for a little while longer but yeah so <laughs> it, uh, you were you were we cooking were still able to, you were cooking even before you went to the cia then oh yeah yeah, oh, okay. Absolutely. So I, I didn't. It was uh, a passion of mine early on. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> what made you decide that you wanted to be a chef? What 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 started that whole chef thing? You know, it's kind of strange. I don't 
Um, I think I just always really liked food. I know there's a lot of uh, stories of people, you know, in their grandparents' kitchen or their mom's kitchen. And my mom did cook, and she was was a very good cook. Um, But I think I enjoyed food so much that I kind of had a a yearning to know why something tasted better. Um, Then, you know, I think I grew up during the era of uh, Julia Child and uh, the beginnings of Emeril Lagasse, right. uh, things of that nature, and Jacques Pepin. Um, oh, Jacques, <clears throat> so Jacques, Pepin I, is, Jacques Pepin is like my idol. He's he's the man. I've uh, we've had to, I've had to make an omelet for that guy before. So it's, oh, cool. It's uh, yeah, it was like oh, that's Jacques Pepin. All right, <laughs> but um, it was. I think it started from that. You know, I saw a couple of uh, shows on PBS and. You know, it was something where I thought it was really interesting, and there was a flair and a kind of a, a savviness about all the chefs that were were on there, and so it kind of told me from a young age that there was something bigger out there that I wasn't privy to. Yeah, and so I think that piqued my interest, mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> I just started. You know, I started uh, searching in high school for it. So obviously, everyone kind of has a a home ec class and I'd taken that in early um, grade school, uh, seventh grade. I forget what they're calling it now, middle school, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was fine, but it was box cake mix and yep. easy things like that. And so when I got to high school, I, I kind of looked into it and then I'd, I noticed it was just kind of a home ec class. And so um, my how counselor did, had said, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was like how to do your laundry and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, put in some baking soda. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but my my high school counselor uh, let me know that there was a, a program um, in the state. Uh, it was a technical school that had about ninety different uh, professions that you could look into. Uh, everything from nursing to construction, firefighting, um, culinary being one of those. And so they would arrange tours. Um, and so I went to that and they had a massive industrial kitchen, probably an $8 million kitchen, you know, $40,000 smoker, wow. just crazy, crazy amount of product. Yeah. It yeah. just kind of blew my mind, especially coming from home ec, you know, background to that. It just, it floored me. So as soon as I saw that, I knew, I knew I, uh, I play with know, the big toys now tried out. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, they all had uniforms. They all had, you know, chef hats on, chef coats, and, you know, they were going to it. So it was something where my parents actually thought it was probably not the best idea. They're kind of like, uh, you know, he'll get over it. It's a phase. Uh-huh. I think technical, yeah, absolutely. Technical school had a had a, a bad rap for, you know, people that couldn't make it normal school. So right. they kind of, they were concerned that maybe I was going into the underbelly <laughs> without, and, uh, you know. And little did they know that you were going into the underbelly. <laughs> I, I know, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They, uh, they did not know. But it was, it was just a fantastic program. But it really, from that point on, I really started to deep dive into it. And I think I enjoyed the, the hard work that went into it. Yeah. Um, which is strange, but I think as a kid, I'd always kind of had that urge to do the, do the hard work. Yeah. Not to, not to top out and take the easy road, but to really kind of jump in there and prove that I could do it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about CAA for a minute. Cause did you visit the campus before you got there? You know, I didn't. Yeah. 
<laughs> you saw it, I, it was a to- totally blind. Uh, my culinary instructors in high school went to uh, CIA. Um, okay. Two out of three of them. I think the other one was Johnson and Wales. So you can yeah. imagine there was great, great rivalry there. But um, they recommended it, uh, mm-hmm. just saying, "Hey, if you want the best, this is this is where you got to go." Yep. And so, so when you got to the CIA, then coming from that, because we've got a similar program here in New York State, it's called the Board of Cooperative Education Services. I hmm. think it is, and it's it's like vocational stuff. Uh, but when you got mm-hmm. to the CIA, you must have been absolutely like floored when you saw those kitchens there. Cause that's an amazing place. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely. When, so my parents took me up there and we took, you know, the tour, but I had already been, you know, I was already signed up and they were dropping me off kind of deal. Not a, <laughs> it wasn't yep. like, Oh, let's come tour the campus. And so it was, it was beautiful. It's <laughs> as funny as it sounds. I kind of compare it to the Hogwarts, if you will, of <laughs> culinary. <laughs> You know, it's this grand, uh, you know, old abbey, and it's beautiful. Um, it's just a beautiful campus, and you walk in, and it's, you know, this darker, yep. you know, uh, cathedral hallways, mm-hmm. and, you know, the dark oak and, and wood notes. So then, you know, you go into the employee, or I'm sorry, not the employee, the, uh, the student uh, dining room, and it's, you know, yep. these huge glass windows so it was yeah. it was very impressive so right? <laughs> so just so the audience that's the listening folks listening have an idea how the culinary institute works is bef- when you when you get to the cia your first class is you're not even in a kitchen and like jason said there's mm-hmm. the class the classrooms are just amazing it's like the best equipment you could ever hope to see but when you get there you start out with a class like a product id class a food safety class a food appreciation class law food math and they prep you for what was it, what about two months, right? Before we even went into mm-hmm. the kitchen with with Chef Hayworth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and then when you get into that class, it's called Skills One, Skills Two, Skills Three, and uh, you start cooking from there. And you're not really even cooking; you're just learning how to use a knife. Right. <laughs> yeah. Try not to cut off your your digits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I remember the first time I saw Jay, saw you, Jason. You were in we were in Chef Hayward's class, Skills One, and you were standing up against one of the walls and, and one of the cutting boards, and you're doing something. And I'm watching, him thinking, "What? What the heck is he doing?" And I went over, and you were tourneying. And a tourney, for those ah. who don't know what a tourney is. Is it's a perfect cut of a carrot, uh, a potato, or a parsnip, or something, and it's a seven-sided oblong, looks like a little football. And Jason, in our first class, was practicing tourneying. <laughs> it was so cool to see that, <laughs> and I thought this guy's really kind of neat. But, so, what was your favorite was, class? Uh, you know, it's there were a lot of uh, classes. I think because I had the culinary background when I went in, um, they were all. Um, it was it was more of a deep dive. You know, I could concentrate on on bigger uh, bigger concepts when you go into the different classes. But I think cuisine to Asia was was really exciting for me. Um, Chef Ch- Chef Chang, yeah. So Chef Chang, um, for your listeners, <laughs> is just the most colorful four foot you know, two <laughs> woman I've ever met, and both both sweet and ferocious at yes. the same time. Yes. Um, she was a Chinese master chef and for all those, you know, unassuming people, she's walking the hallway and, you know, she's four foot nothing. And, you know, you're just kind of, Oh, good morning. Good morning. And then she gets in class and she can yep. break down a chicken in, you know, eight Se- seconds. Yes. Yeah, 17. <laughs> like we, what? 
Yeah, she did that in class with a Chinese cleaver, a butcher, a butcher's cleaver. Uh, <laughs> she broke that chicken down, and I timed her. Remember, she didn't want me to do that, and I timed her. And then she said, well, how fast was I? And she did that in 17 seconds flat. There wasn't a bone left in that chicken. I couldn't believe it. It was just amazing. And then it's, she said, oh, I was, I was too slow. <laughs> yeah, I was going slow that time. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I still use a lot of her her uh, mannerisms or her, her sayings, you know, yeah. Japanese. Want me to show you a Japanese mandolin? Mm-hmm. And she would just cut a julienne super fast. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. And a julienne is kind of, it's a matchstick. Yeah. Um, you know, one eighth by one eighth by almost you know one and a half to two inches, and so mm-hmm. you know she would go by and say, "Oh, would you like me to show you Chinese dumpling maker?" You know, and like, oh, okay, you know, expecting her to bring out a machine or anything else, and she you know puts the the dough in her hand and just starts making dumplings crazy fast. Yeah, um, you know, more more than any normal human being should be able to. So yeah. it was yeah. it was eye opening for. For multiple reasons, what yeah. I love. Uh, and and that's the thing about the Culinary Institute that was really interesting, because you just didn't go and start cooking. You It was a very logical progression through the classes. Before mm. you cooked anything, they wanted to make sure you knew what you were cooking. Uh, so your, your product ID class. Uh, and then just to go mm-hmm. back a minute, you don't attend the Culinary Institute of America and just say, I think I'll go to cooking school and go to the CIA. You have to have at least six months' experience cooking in a professional atmosphere. You can't. It can't be a, a Burger King or McDonald's or something. You've got to be in a professional kitchen, and then you're accepted into classes, and then you start. But the whole series starts out very logically progression. You're building upon the skills. Skills one builds for skills two, builds for skills three, and then you can start from there. So, uh, did you enjoy the baking classes? I love them. They again, I, I love to eat. So uh, it was. It was something that I enjoyed getting to know. Uh, usually, you have a, a culinary versus pastry side. You know, right. either people love or hate it. But you know, I I appreciate it for sure. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a skill that as uh, you know a future executive chef or anything else, you you have to have those skills. So, um, you know, I wanted to know how to make you know those delicious desserts. So, I would uh, I would actually volunteer for the the bread. Portion. Right. Um, we had we had uh, all the restaurants on property um, would start making their bread at about two a.m. in the morning uh, for service that day, and so you could come in and volunteer if you wanted to, you know, help the fellow out mm-hmm. uh, in the kitchen making the bread. And so I would get up at two a.m. and go in there and you know, start making bread and yep. you know just enjoy the uh, yeah. the wonderful smells. As the morning progressed. Oh, it's an amazing smell, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, uh, on campus, there were a lot of kids that were, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, and I, when I went, mm-hmm. I was 48 years old when I started school there. Uh, and you... Yeah, a young 48. A young 48, yeah. Thank young you. Young 48, Thank absolutely. You. <laughs> uh, but a lot of the kids were riding skateboards and goofing off. And, and you impressed me because you were doing the thing like the 2 o'clock in the morning. I always thought... If anybody in this place is going to make it, Jason will make it because you were so dedicated to it. It's uh, I, I think for me it was because I was so far away from home. It was really important to me to get the most out of it. You know, I think that's what you get when you go to the CIA is you get, you know, as much intensity as you want. You know, because it's there. It's right. Very intense, but um, you know, you can either not not do it or do it and right. you know, reap the full benefit. Yep. Of, uh, of a place like that. Yeah. And for me, it was interesting because 
when, you know, many of the chefs that we had were younger than I was, and they would say, they'd look at me and say, what are you doing here? When I told them <laughs> that I wanted to learn how to cook, I wanted to get into this business, they kind of took me under their wing. So I got a little little extra attention, I think, sometimes. But, you know, we had some chefs well, that th- were... I, th- I think you have life, I think you have the life experience, too, though, that really, you know, uh, a younger 18, yes. 19-year-old, um, you know, they crave crave that uh, experience yes. that you have than others. So yeah. I think it was an even trade for sure. Yeah. And that life experience has worked out well for me in, in my career in this business because, you know, I've got a good financial background, which is how I ended up in the front of the house as well because, you know, I can work a spreadsheet and costing and stuff like that very easy for me because I did it for many years before school. So your overall impression of the CIA? Uh, fantastic. You know, it it was something where, um, like I said, if if you utilize it to its full potential, it can't can't be matched. Uh, I think anywhere anywhere that I know of, um, just the the culture uh, of the Culinary Institute of America, it's it's like no other. When you get on, everyone's really focused on on you know increasing the craft. Yeah, everything from ice carving clubs to yep. you know, chili cook-offs, and you know, it was just very culinary uh, centric, uh, which is which is a great thing. Yeah, you know, I still tell people to this day that it's that was probably two years of the best food I will ever eat in my life, uh, and it's difficult for for Joanne and I to go out to dinner now because everything else kind of pales. Uh, and, and <laughs> yep, I, uh, you, you, it's funny we do the same thing. Yeah. It's it's odd how that happens. So, so let's talk. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about now that we're out of school. I'd like your impression of the restaurant business. I have my own impressions, but I, I'd like to hear what your mm-hmm. what you think of it. You know, the hours. It's a uh, it's tough. Um, I am married to a very special woman who is a very understanding. Um, you know, and and uh, you know we love each other very much. So it's uh, it's always difficult to be away from family. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult. I think it's changing in some ways. I think there's a much higher focus now on just quality of, of life within the culinary field. Um, I think, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was much different. It was, uh, you know, a dungeon in the back and it was very much, uh, um, you know, you're more in the servant class, if you will. But, you know, these days I think there's much greater attention being, being, uh, put or I'm much more, you know, focus is being shifted to that, our profession, um, because of, you know, just the fact that it is a difficult area. And so in order to retain people, I think, um, people are, are switching and trying to make it a little more family friendly, a little more, um, a little bit more people friendly. So it's, uh, but overall, uh, in terms of, you know, where we're at now in the United States on food, I think is a very exciting place. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, uh, you know, people say, oh, what's your favorite place to eat? And if you work in a restaurant, <laughs> you're either cooking while other people are eating or you're serving while other people are eating. So you really don't have a favorite yeah. place to eat unless it's home. Uh, and right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult industry to be in. Uh, and but it uh-huh. is it is getting a little bit better as I as I see it getting a little bit better too. Uh, 
What's your one of the things because I've had I'm I'm the front of the house, uh, which in the business we call FOH, and then back back of the house is uh, BOH. But in the front of the house, when I started managing restaurants, I always wanted to make sure that the back of the house got the due respect from the front of the house, but the but the back always gave the front due respect. I always told people, and I still do. It's this isn't this isn't a dining room, and it's not a kitchen. It's a restaurant which means we have to work together. So communication is very key mm-hmm. to what we do on a day-to-day basis and respect as well, because being a line cook standing on the line, summer heat, you got 110 degrees in the kitchen there, banging out orders, mm-hmm. that's it's not easy. A lot of cooks I don't think understand when you're serving in the front of the house, you'll get somebody say, I'd like this for dinner, but can I have this instead of this? And that's the order change <laughs> is just insane. Yep. And then as the server, we've got to go back and communicate that to the kitchen. And sometimes it you know the chef or the cooks will look at you like, "Why are you doing this to me?" <laughs> it's not. It's not us. It's really. You know, you're making this up. No, I'm not really. They really do want French fries with that prime rib. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's, I know, right? Yeah, it is it's kind a, of. You know, that's that's something I've always really. I think I understood it from a an early age, but I also, I think it was more uh, wanting to please. Uh, people in general, but I think it kind of transformed into a just a greater understanding of what's going on in the front of the house. Um, and that's, you know, the customer wants to feel like they're at home, right? Right. You know, they don't want to be dishes at home. They want delicious food mm-hmm. quickly that they don't have to make. And so, you know, sometimes what's on the menu isn't necessarily what, you know, the heart wants, if you will. Right. And so I think over time I've, I've really... I've come to appreciate the, the customer and I've come to appreciate the fact that people, people want, you know, may want something a little different and, you know, it's, it's our job as culinarians to really try and, and meet that no matter, no matter where you are, right. which, where you are in your career, where, you know, what restaurant you're at. It's, I think it's very much the focus these days, especially in hospitality is right. you know, the hospitality part of it, mm-hmm. you know? you're in it to make people feel like they're at home yeah and so you know i've i've always come from a background of you never say no um yeah if you don't have something then it's you know i'm sorry we don't have that yeah you know i can make this and it's very similar mm-hmm. um you know is there anything else i could get for you yeah and, and that's so, that's something that you know i've worked with chefs before where it's like they wouldn't make a substitution and it's like right. it, so you'd go back and you'd say you know the you know the guest wants to sub the mashed potatoes for the you know the whatever and it's like can't do it it's like why not and and that that's not that's not a kitchen you want to work in (laughs) because it's uh yeah it 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 takes a long time to kind of um get through to those people yes it does and usually i have to bring it back to you know if your parents are out in the dining room or your you know your family members are out in the dining room that's you know would you say no Exactly. More than likely not, you know, you're going to do whatever you can to make sure that, you know, they get what they need. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. The first, so. the first chef that, that said that to me was like, boy, I know I'm not going to be here long because, you know, this is hospitality <laughs> and, uh, right. I'll, I'll do anything for the guests, whatever you want. And if we can't do it in the kitchen, give us a few minutes, we'll figure something out for you. Right. That, it's a very Absolutely. important part of it. Oh, it really is. You know, an example. So last week, or actually Saturday, you know, I had to. We got a request for a, a kid's fifteenth birthday. They wanted a soccer themed amenity, 
I went to our pastry shop thinking, oh, maybe we can do some cupcakes or you know, something, some green coconut on there, you know, make some green frosting. Right. <clears throat> and, you know, the answer was, no, I can't. I was kind of like, what? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Did you have cupcakes? No. Like, you don't have any cupcakes in a 700-room you know, <laughs> resort no big cu- shop. No, like, no cupcake tins here. <laughs> yeah, no cupcake uh, um, extras here. So, you know, short story, you know, I went out and I got some soccer-themed stuff and brought it back and we made it happen. But, you know, it was it's just the willingness you know, to make stuff happen. And that's really, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've had servers that I've managed and it's like, uh, I don't really don't want to do this. Well, then maybe you want to go home for the night because what you want to do is if a guest comes in, you have no idea what their day is like. Our job is to give them mm-hmm. a two or a two and a half hour experience that makes them forget they had a lousy day, turn their day around for them. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is you really never know where people are. Right. And so just the smallest gesture, you know, can really mean so much to people. Yeah. So it's really, it's the empathy part, I think, that has really grown with me over the years mm-hmm. is, you know, how how would I feel if I was out there and they said, no, you can't have mashed potatoes with your steak, you know, it yep. comes with cream spinach. <laughs> Too bad. Like, what? No soup for you. I'm sorry. You guys do sell mashed potatoes, right? Okay. So let's shift gears a little bit here. So you're working how many hours? What do you do, like a 50, 60-hour week? Um, I'm about 60 or 70 right now, mm-hmm. uh, depending. Um, and so it, it'll really, a lot of that is attributed to being at some place um, for a very short period of time. And I really, you know, in those executive positions, you have to absorb as much information and as much of the processes right. as possible um, so that you can effectively lead right. uh, your employees. And so uh, a lot of that has been me, you know, being at each each shift and really kind of absorbing what's going on yep. so I can make the right changes for mm-hmm. the right reasons. And do you expect that will will drop over time? Hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, a farm doesn't run itself. And uh, I think um, I got some apple trees I have to trim here shortly. But <laughs> yeah. um, hopefully hopefully I'll have the, the right time at the right moment yeah. uh, in the future. But I think at the the beginning, it's always a lot of work, and then you kind of set up your um, set up all the SOPs so that it runs a lot smoother. Right, you don't have to be there all the time. Right, yeah, get everything in position, and it it builds upon. And people who have seen my YouTube channel know that I'm big on mise en place when I'm showing people how to cook something. Mm-hmm. Get everything ready, and then all you have to do is cook. You, you know, when everything is cut and diced, you just add it saute it and away you go and it's the same in a restaurant you want to make sure that everything is in place so that everybody knows what they're doing and how to move forward into, into dinner service but you mentioned now it's I'm gonna, we're going to shift gears again because you mentioned you have to trim some apple trees you've got <laughs> tell me a little bit more about what you're growing down there because i saw a photo i think it was on facebook one time you've got like a whole mess of apple and pears and peaches and like these giant raised bed gardens oh, yeah. Yeah. So, what do you? What kind of Absolutely. stuff are you growing? Well, uh, we have about 80, 80 uh, fruit trees 80? on the property. I have about eight, eight zero. So we have uh, about an acre and a third, uh, which doesn't seem like a ton of space, probably uh, for uh, you upper New Yorkers. Um, it's uh, it's a little little smaller, but um, it was 
That's a lot of land. Completely bare when, yeah, completely bare when we first uh, got here. So there wasn't irrigation. There wasn't um, grass or anything. It was just dirt, dirt <laughs> with a uh, with a house on it. Yep. So it was a great clean slate. Uh, no pun intended. Big <laughs> um, clean slate to uh, to start with. So, um, but we started. Uh, you know, it really began when uh, I left my second to last job. Um, I had just cut my hand. Uh, I'd cut a, a tendon in my thumb. Oh, uh, cleaning the cleaning the rind off of Parmesan and sitting there itself. Um, and so I was in recovery, and you know, me and my wife were kind of, uh, you know, we had saved a little bit. We were kind of unhappy where we were. It was uh, wasn't a great work life balance. And my wife just said, "What do you want to do when you retire?" I said. Yeah, what do you mean? She's like, well, you know, like if you're going to retire, what would you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. You'll probably have a farm. Um, you know, just a nice little house somewhere and, you know, farm, a bunch of fresh fruit, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, you know, she's like, well, why don't we just do it? I'm like, well, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And so, you know, that, that began the processes of us just kind of searching out different properties and, you know, uh, we found this one and it was during my recovery time. And so, you know, I basically got back to work and, and put in, uh, put in my, my notice and found a job that was a little bit closer, probably about 20, 30 minutes closer. Um, and you know, we started planting, uh, planting trees and put in some irrigation. We took quite a bit of research. Um, Arizona, it has some pretty um, pretty rough soil. Right. As you know, it's very uh, saline, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't drain very well. Um, okay. That's why you hear a lot of a lot about flash flooding is because we'll get monsoon rains that you know dump a ton of of water, and then the water has nowhere to go because the the salt um, kind of reacts with the ions and uh, positively charges the soil, so the water can't drain through. Right. And so turns it um, into a parking lot. And so we yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the water has no place to go, but wherever downhill is, so you get flash flooding. Um, and so in our research, we found there's uh, some low chill hours, which means, um, you know, trees produce when they have a certain amount of cold weather. Uh, it allows them to rest, and then um, it allows them to actually fruit the following year. Okay. And so um, they've actually modified and bred some trees so that they have lower chill hours. And I think a standard standard range is typically in the, the five to seven hundred range um, for most trees. And so we got a lot of trees that were only 250 chill hours yep. and also things that were just meant for warmer climates. You know, everything from uh, pomegranates to um, finger lime trees mm-hmm. to, you know, citrus goes really well in Arizona. Um, and then, you know, everything from Turkish figs to black mission figs, oh, man. things that you would expect from warmer weather. Yep. Stuff Absolutely. like stuff that I would love to grow. I'd love to have figs up here. We up here, we call it degree days and mm-hmm. we just don't have the degree days to get figs in. People say, Oh, put them in a pot and bring them in the house. It's like, you can't lug a fig tree around the right. yard. So, <laughs> they get pretty big. Yeah. They get pretty big. <laughs> now you have eighty trees. Uh, what what variety? What kind of things are you growing absolutely. there? Apples. So uh, we we have twelve peach trees, uh, all different varieties. We tried to spread it out so that we actually had peaches for several months. 
Um, it says different varietals all fruit at different times. Yep. And so early mid light. Uh, yep. Love peaches. So, absolutely. And so we have uh, twelve peach trees. We have uh, what is it? We have. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, twelve. And then we have eight um, plum trees, uh, plums and pluots. Okay. We have twelve uh, apricot and aprium trees. Um, not both, but just kind of a mix of all of them. Right. And then we also have uh, twelve. Uh, nectarine trees. We have twelve uh, apples. Yep. Uh, eight eight pears. Persimmons. Um, two persimmons trees. We have. So you have like a regular roadside stand, then, right? What, what do you? How, what do you? Yeah. This is a lot of lot of food you're growing there. So do you have a roadside stand? Because <laughs> you can't eat it all. <laughs> uh, we don't. I'll, we are. We are. Uh, zone for it so we could actually set up a farm stand if we wanted yeah and uh just sell you know uh fruit uh, we're about year two we're coming into year three okay on on most of them and so um they're just we just had a great harvest last year of peaches and what we didn't eat we uh we peeled and blanched and or we blanched and peeled and um and froze so we have a pretty large freezer that we keep uh extra stuff in but we're also going to start doing some more canning and jams and, yep. and jellies and whatnot mm-hmm. you know uh like quince is about ready to come off here in the next couple of weeks and we got uh we have two quince trees one pineapple one uh one uh what the other variety is but um it's just it's been really really relaxing yeah uh to come home and and pick some apples off your own tree and yeah that's yeah, amazing isn't right. it that's amazing, yeah. That's it, it. Really is. It, it's my uh, it's my salvation when I you know I get up in the morning because I work many nights. I'll get up in the morning and it's like just get me in the garden and it's just right. it's a it, walk about. You I, know. I yeah I I call it my cathedral because there, but there's no more miracle to me than to plant a seed and see something come up and it's like oh my god that's like a, a you know I got carrots out of these little things you can hardly see. <laughs> it, you know what's funny is it's really true. I think. Um, my interest in that really came from when I was learning culinary. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, yeah, there's a large part of, of my generation that didn't know really where food came from. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Oh, it comes from the store, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like, Oh, carrots come from the ground. And yeah, you know, you know people, you know, peanuts are, are a brush. It's, you know, yeah. it's a root vegetable. I remember being in a so store one. Vegetable. Yeah. I remember being in a store one time and this, it kind of surprised me because it was an older guy, uh, mid forties, fifty or so, and he had a, an eggplant. And he was looking at the eggplant, and he turned to his wife. He said, "What's this thing?" And I couldn't believe it. It was like that's <laughs> an eggplant. But you know, some people yep. they, they don't have the background, so it's good. The whole farm farm to table thing is is gotten back, and the organic movement, and more and more people uh, growing their own gardens, victory Absolutely. gardens, if you so to, so to speak. So. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, when uh, I remember kind of talking with my my mother about it, and she would talk about Victory Gardens and you know how they had their own you know little garden, and you know they were always producing some something and canning something. Mm-hmm. So it's I think there's kind of a return to the return to the earth, if you will. Yeah, uh, which is which is exciting. You know, it's it's necessary. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, there's a lot of in- a lot of abuse. There, there's nothing. There's nothing like uh, food that just comes right out of the garden. It's just so amazingly delicious. It's it's, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Now you also have chickens. 
<laughs> I just saw something on Facebook. You mentioned something about the eggs, and you posted it. I thought, my God, he's got chickens too. Where, does, where do you find the time to do all this? How many chickens? It's uh, my wife, uh, we have about twelve, twelve chickens. Mm-hmm. So the my wife is an extraordinary woman uh, on many many accounts, but um, she's yeah. We both kind of tend to them in the morning time. Luckily, they're they're pretty pretty low key. Yeah. Um, we let them out, and they kind of roam through the the orchard and and pick at bugs and yep. things like that. And then uh, they just they come right back. They have a pretty big. It's like a sixteen by um, like a sixteen by twenty um, right. house yep. that they live in. So it's it's a pretty pretty nice uh, size for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's that was another thing. I just wanted you know some fresh eggs and you know and also. You know they contribute to the garden in a lot of ways. We yes. we uh, we actually have raised bed gardens, um, and they're about four foot by twelve foot. And I got four of those, and then a bunch of two by sixes, um, probably about ten of those. Mm-hmm. So we're actively actively planting and uh, and reaping. Yep. So it's uh, everything from e toy onions, which are. Uh, a type of green onion that we get um, down here. It's very similar to like a spring onion. Okay. Um, but because Arizona, we have so many, we, have, we basically have three growing seasons because of our weather. Right. Um, the cold doesn't get so extreme that it kind of stops all growth. Uh, and rarely, I think I've seen snow three times uh, in in the valley, mm-hmm. uh, as we call it. So, um, in my lifetime. Yeah. So, yeah, everything from you know we collect, we put down hay, mm-hmm. and you know after so you com- a month is done, we collect all that and compost. Yep, do a lot of composting. Yeah, that's what we have in our chicken coop. We do the uh, deep litter method. I just keep throwing uh, nice. bedding in there, and then turn it over every couple of weeks, and then pull it out, and throw it in the compost pile, and work it in that way. But perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, my tomatoes did fantastic this year. It was. We got them about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. so it's been somewhat experimental, but it's you know it's gone fantastic. It's yeah, you know, I've read a couple of books. Um, you probably know Dan Barber yep. pretty well, yeah. um, or are familiar with him. But mm-hmm. up in the Hudson Valley, he has a great book called Absolutely um, Jealous, Jealous uh, for Your Proximity. But yeah, he. He has a fantastic book called Third Plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommend for your, for your listeners. Third Plate, um, okay. But it just, yep, Third Plate. It just kind of goes through uh, the sustainability of you know farm table movement and yep. what's what's really sustainable. And uh, I think a lot of times we get kind of hell bent on on you know extremes. You know, no carbs in my diet. Right. No, you know, like there's there's all these extremes that happen instead of you know taking you know, certain things to extremes to really kind of pull back and look at the whole farm to table movement and what's really necessary to make it a successful and thriving model. Right. And so in one of those, he talks about his own land at uh, Blue Hill Farms. Yep. They, you know, they had just done cows for so long uh, or they had just done hay for so long and they weren't replacing any of the nutrients that were coming out of the land. And so, um, he remembered that his, his mom used to run cattle, you know, on the, on the land and that they would, you know, do their thing and kind of drop their, drop their nutrients on the ground. And then, uh, you know, 
so he, he brought that back. And so they were looking at that and like, well, you know, we need something to kind of spread around the, the manure. And so yeah. they got chickens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got chickens. So, you know, we need something to kind of clear back of the, the brush. And so they got goats. Right. Then, hey, you know, we have all this extra space. You know, in the surrounding forest, you know, let's get pigs. Yep. So they got pigs. And so there was really... It's a giant entire, circle. It's a giant circle. And so, you know, in reading that book, I was like, you know what? That's, you know, that's something I want for, for yeah. my own farmers. I want to be sustainable and, and responsible in that way. And so, you know, it's, you know, we've started that process, but it's, you know, it, it takes some commitment. And, uh, but it's super exciting. We love it. We love the garden. Um, just fresh veggies. You know, I think you said it best. There's nothing that tastes as good as going out and picking your own snap peas and mm-hmm. you know, pulling tomatoes off the vine. And yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I make, uh, we make a lot of soups for wintertime up here because up here we get cold, not like you guys down yeah. there. Uh, but I'll make a lot of soups. Well, like- it's, it's, it's Arizona cold. So. But yeah. So, <laughs> so you get down to what, 60? <laughs> Yeah. 60 and people are in the you know, parkas and yeah, it was nine degrees it was nine degrees this morning <laughs> but i we make a lot of soups oh that's it <laughs> yeah uh Absolutely. and i make soups and I'll, I'll bag them up into two cup portions and then freeze them uh but like corn yeah. when the corn comes off the fields around here you know it's just grab the corn and tomato soup you know i harvested a mess of tomatoes i made probably mm. four gallons of tomato soup and later on today i'm going to go out you said you were going to go out and trim some apple trees i'm going to go out and get some herbs bring them in and dry them and have herbs for the winter so we'll be all set that's ah, fantastic yeah probably one of my favorite things is soup because it can be anything yep. like it's not yeah you know, it doesn't have to be something specific and it's really something we've we embrace as well. Mm-hmm. So good, good note for the listeners. You know, yep. let's get some, get some soup going. So anyway, Jason, I'd mm-hmm. like to, like to thank you for taking time out of your, your day today. I know today's your day off and the last thing you want to be doing is talking with me, but, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and finally, I'd just like to give a wrap up. If you have any advice for anyone out there who, who wants to go to culinary school, uh, I, I'm going to recommend the CIA, obviously, because we're, we're grads. But any uh, tips mm-hmm. and pointers that you might want to point out for somebody? You know, I think uh, one of the most important things um, that our culinarians uh, need to know as they're moving into the industry is that it's really about people. Um, and so if you're passionate about people, um, you're going to do really well in this industry. You know, focus, you know, work hard on the basics and, uh, you know, and really, you know, have a passion for, for uh, helping people. Yeah. And I think it'll go very, very far. Yeah. Good know? advice. And sharp knife. You know? <laughs> yeah. Sharp knife. Know your basics. <laughs> sharp knife. Have a passion for people. And don't go cutting the rinds off of Parmesan cheese. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Jason, thanks very much. <laughs> no, oh, go ahead. Uh, it was my pleasure. Appreciate it, Dave. It's uh, always good to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. I hope you enjoyed the show with Chef Jason Allen. Our next show will be number six, and that will be with Tina Jacobs from Divine Gardens. Tina has a vermicomposting business and more worms than you and I could probably count in a lifetime. This podcast is a production of Clean Slate Farm. All rights reserved, copyright 2017.